But right now, I'd like to pray and get into this word. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity um, to study this gospel. Um, I am intimidated by it. You know I've been telling you that. Uh, I feel inadequate to try to teach this, and uh, that is a rare occasion for me. But this is just so, is so high. It is so far beyond um, human understanding. But I pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us. I pray that we will be um, respectful hearers, that we will be receptive. And if we are receptive to your word, you promise that it will go forth and make the changes that we need. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you'll forgive me if I stick a little bit close to my notes, as you might have heard me say in my prayer. Uh, this is intimidating. And I've taught through the Gospel of John before, and I've been preaching for a long time. Um, there is just nothing higher or further beyond us than what John teaches, especially what he teaches here uh, at the beginning of John. So uh, we played a clip from the Gospel of John movie, which is, uh, if you get the original, it literally goes verse by verse through John using the Good News Bible. And uh, it's really, really, um, it's very powerful. I remember it came out early 2000s, I can't remember, but we're going to use clips from that in other places uh, to try to help you to understand uh, dramatically, I guess, uh, to engage, maybe not understand with what's going on. Um, by way of introduction, our world is lost. It is out of control. And that really stems from the fact that we have been taught from the time we're in grade school that the universe is random. It's chaotic, it's purposeless, and that life evolved from lifeless matter as the result of sheer chance. Well, since there's no creator, there's not a set way things should be. So there's no binding moral law. There's nothing objective out there that we can all look at and say, yes, we must all obey this. We're just making it up as we go. The community decides what is true, and the state establishes and enforces what is right and wrong. Well, I decide what's right and wrong for me, right? My truth, my morality, and so forth. And sometimes what the state says and what I say are in conflict, and, and that's why we have problems uh, with uh, incarceration and so forth. You see, there's no more gravitational center, and without it, we all fly off into space. 19th century atheist philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche famously predicted the death of God in Western culture. Listen to the parable of the madman. This is his writing from uh, a work called The Gay Science. Gay as in happy, not the way we use it today. The parable of the madman. Where has God gone? He cried. I shall tell you, we have killed him, you and I. We are his murderers. But how have we done this? How were we able to drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away an entire horizon? What did we do when we unchained the earth from its sun? Whither is it moving? Whither are we moving now? Away from all suns. Are we not perpetually falling? Backward, sideward, forward in all directions? Is there any way up or down left? Are we not all straying as though in infinite, into infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is it not more and more night coming on all the time? And then the madman entered several churches and said... What are these churches now if they are not the tombs and sepulchers of God? Well, that was written at the tail end of the Enlightenment, but it seems 
that we have taken that to heart. Our godless culture seems to have listened to Nietzsche's advice, which was, there is no God, therefore we should become supermen and gods unto ourselves. Listen to what he wrote once again. Must we not ourselves become gods simply to be worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whosoever shall be born after us, for the sake of this deed, he shall be but part of a higher history than all history hitherto. Supermen, gods, my own truth, my own morality, and you wonder why the world is out of control. But I say to you, friends, that this is nothing more than a lie coming from the one who is called the father of lies. My response as a teacher of the truth and a preacher of the gospel is to lead us back to Christ. Not Christ as a concept, Christ as a historical figure, but the Christ who is presented here in John. And so today, we're going to uh, launch into our study of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. I don't mean flannel board Jesus of Sunday school days or the consumer Christ of big churches today, not the nostalgic Christ of a bygone era, not the calcified religious Christ of stained glass windows and giant crucifixes. No, I want to lead you back to the Son of God who emptied himself and became a man, suffering and dying for human sin, including and especially the unbelief that has killed God in our culture the Son of God who rose from the dead and offers eternal life to all who will receive him. You see, Jesus is the center, and the center will hold. We merely need to put our faith in him. So the theme of this book, the Gospel of John, um, which uh, we will probably be in for the better part of this year, is Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Very simple. You may have already embraced that thought, that idea, that belief. But that is the theme of the Gospel of John. The other Gospels have different uh, approaches. Obviously, Jesus is always and ever will be the eternal Son of God. But that is the focus of the Gospel of John. The theme for our message today is Jesus is the reason for the universe and the embodiment of God's love for you and me. So let me pause and ask you, who is Jesus to you? It's really the most important question you can answer. It's the question that Jesus asked his followers. We find it uh, written in Matthew chapter 16. He said, who do, who do people say that I am? Who do all these other people say that I am? They said, well, some say you're a prophet and you know, a teacher. Some think that you're you know, John the Baptist risen from the dead. Apparently, he and his cousin John were very, very similar to one another. We think it was his cousin. They were related. We'll get into that when we talk about John, who is spoken of in this chapter. Um, but then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question that you need to answer. Now, Peter said, you are the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And to that, Jesus replied, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And you are Peter, pebble. But upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock of what? Peter's faith. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The old translation, the gates of hell, but it's the Greek word Hades, right? So, what is your confession in regard to Christ? Well, I hope today to inspire you to say that he is your Christ, your Messiah, your Lord, your Savior. Let's begin. I memorized this passage uh, when I was a young person. I became a believer in the Lord Jesus, or at least committed my life to him. I can't remember a time when I didn't believe that he existed, he was out there, 
he loves us and so forth. But I committed my life to Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old. It was a very intentional commitment. And uh, what we did for youth group back then, uh, Felix leads our youth group, and they seem to be having a lot of fun up there when we're down here on Wednesday trying to do Bible study because it gets rowdy up there, right? (laughs) But what we did for youth group was youth choir, and it was on Sunday nights. And it was, you know, I, w- I got saved in a big church. This is why I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to put our stuff online. Not that there are that many people that watch it, but there's the opportunity. And I was exposed to the gospel and church and all of that stuff because it was on television and it was a big church and it had a big ministry. So I don't think there's any benefit to saying a big church or a small church is better. You just need to go where the Lord has led you and they need to be preaching the gospel. And this church certainly did. So I got in youth choir and they did these youth musicals. Anybody ever see a musical in church, right? Usually it's like Christmas musicals, that sort of thing, Easter musicals. Well, this was an Easter oriented musical. It was called Celebrate Life. And guess who I got to play? John. I got to play the Apostle John, the disciple John. So I had to memorize this passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let's look at those uh, verses, one, uh, one at a time here. And honestly, we're just going to look at the first three. Starting with the, the uh, phrase, in the beginning, or the statement, it is a complete statement, in the beginning was the Word. Well, this refers to Jesus, who is the Word become flesh. And we know this because that's what verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. We beheld His glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten, born, right? This is Jesus that we're talking about. He is the Word of God. Well, what does it mean to say that Jesus is the Word? This is, uh, this is a, uh, a designation that John uses of Jesus uh, in several different places in his literature, but this is really the only place where he refers to Jesus as the Word in this gospel and this uh, portion that we have read today uh, beyond what I just um, recited to you from memory, the portion that you saw on the screen is called the prologue. It's an introduction to John. Well, let's look at what, what, is, what is a word, right? Well, according to the dictionary, a word is the basic, distinct, conceptual unit of language. Words reveal and organize our thoughts. A word gets my thought out and makes it possible for you to receive it and get it in to your mind, right? So Jesus Christ personifies and communicates God's thoughts and thus his will to human beings. We call the Bible God's word. How many of you have called the Bible God's word, right? God's word is the word of God. But Jesus is the full and final word of God. Here we see Jesus called the word of God, okay? Um, He, that is Jesus, is God's message to human beings. When we were going through uh, the period of time uh, of uh, Advent leading up to Christmas, um, I focused on the angels and the witness of the angels, but really I focused on the one idea of the angel of the Lord. And I told you that was the pre-incarnate Christ. That was the pre-incarnate Son of God appearing on earth to communicate God's will to human beings. He was already doing this 
um, before he was born of Mary, born of a virgin, and lived the life that we're going to read about here. But beyond that, I said this on uh, that Sunday of Advent, and I repeat it, Jesus is the messenger, but Jesus is also the message. The Greek word uh, that is used here is the word logos or logos, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And it also, in addition to referring to a word, it also refers to reason. So Jesus is the manifest expression of God's love and logic. Reason refers to both purpose and order. The Son brings both, as in S-O-N, the Son of God, brings both purpose and order to the universe. Is it any wonder why we have left behind order and purpose in our lives? Because we have affirmed what atheist scientists have been trying to say, that there is no order, that everything is chaotic, that everything is random. Further, the word is pre-existent. That is, he exists before time, right? In the beginning was the word. If you were paying attention uh, to the passage as it was uh, being performed on the screen a moment ago, it said, in the beginning, the word already was, or the word already existed. That's the idea here. So I was sitting down here in the front last Sunday, and uh, Misty's little daughter, Lydia, sat next to me, and she asked me this question. How old is Jesus? Now, I should have just simply answered, as I'm going to simply answer to you, Jesus is forever old. Amen? However, this is on the heels of Christmas. And she understood, and we understand, that Jesus was literally born as a baby in a manger. So my brain is going, well, how am I going to approach this with Lydia? So I went into a long explanation that was probably longer than it needed to be about the pre-existent Christ and how we're going to teach this next week. And she goes, oh, okay. Well, I think he created us. You're a smart little girl is what you are. All right. Jesus is forever old. Um, Let's go to the next phrase. And the word was with God and the word was God. In the Greek word order, it is literally, and God was the word. Later in the gospel of John, we will hear Jesus say, I and the father are one. Jesus is God. Can you say that? Can you affirm that? See, that can be a sticking point. I remember some years ago uh, when Craig was our youth minister, uh, we had, man, we had a bunch of youth. Your, your group is really growing. Um, but we had to have two services, and one of them was largely youth. And we baptized a bunch of those kids. Uh, Craig and Rachel used to live in a house uh, just a little ways down the street here, and they had a pool in their backyard, and we baptized a bunch of these kids. And I know some of you may need to be baptized. You may need to come and talk to me about that. Well, you need to have a real relationship with Jesus before that happens, Baptism doesn't save you, you're saved, and so you are baptized. And so I always ask these uh, young people and adults, whoever it is, the question I asked you at the beginning, and who is Jesus to you? And I want them to be able to affirm that Jesus Christ is God. He's one with the Father. That doesn't mean that they need to understand that. The most erudite theologians, uh, the most profound professors of philosophy can't fully explain that. You simply affirm that because it is the reality that we find in the word of God. Jesus is God. And I can remember two young people, right? Uh, They were about the same age. 
and within about a span of maybe six months of one another, could not say that. And I appreciated the fact that they were honest and weren't just going along with the crowd. And so one young person says, said, uh, well, n- no. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's wait to baptize you. Let's, let's let you work through that and think through that. Another young person, his whole family was getting baptized, and, you know, they were all affirming that. But, you know, he was honest enough not to be able to affirm that. And so I was honest enough as a preacher not to want to add another notch to my Bible and say, I baptized 15 today, and say, no, I'm not going to baptize you. Jesus is God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is not a misunderstood Jew. There is a, um, a book by that title. He's not a political radical. He's not a, he was not a, a human teacher. He wasn't or isn't a first century legend or a religious icon to hang on the wall. God became a human being. Jesus was preexistent with the Father before any creation happened. Well, that leads us to this idea of the Trinity. The one God exists in three persons. What are those three persons? Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, why don't you go ahead and put that graphic up there? I don't remember where it is in the order. You're already ahead of me. You guys are amazing up there. Here's the definition of this concept of Trinity, which, by the way, is a word that's not found in the Bible. It's an, a word of explanation that came up in about the second century when the church was trying to understand this. Here's the definition, and you can look at that graphic as I read the definition, and then I'll refer to the graphic. God is one, yet self-differentiated. The God who reveals himself to mankind is one God, equally in three distinct modes of existence, yet remains one through all eternity. So take a look at the graphic then, and you see God is in the middle. Now, If you get this graphic wrong, all of these things are going to fall short when we press the analogies too heavily, right? If you looked at this, you could say, well, there's four there. There's God, and then there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Really, I think it would have been more accurate for them to put Godhead in the middle, right? Meaning this concept of the totality of God, right? The Godhead. That that is another term that you won't find in Scripture, but it's our way of trying to explain this, right? God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Son is not the Father. Do you understand? But the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Amen? That's what we believe, friends. That's what Christians believe. Well, if you don't understand, don't worry. It is a paradox demonstrating that God is far above and beyond our understanding. Uh, Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard looked at paradoxes like this in the Christian faith, uh, and there are other paradoxes, and he said that is precisely what caused him to pursue Christian faith because he understood, and this is Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, the, the father of existentialism. He understood that if God is transcendent and utterly, otherly and above us, then we're not going to be able to easily put him in a box. We're not going to be able to easily define him and refine him. Let's go to the next phrase. He was in the beginning with God. Okay, now this is interesting. In the the recitation that I gave you just a moment ago, I left that verse out. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to leave parts of the Bible out. But when I memorized it as the character John in Celebrate Life, it what that verse wasn't there because it's seemingly repetitive. It's not. 
I'll tell you why in just a moment. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, right? That's verse two. So it does, it does seem repetitive, but when you look at the Greek, at the original language, what we're seeing here is this, this uh, contrast and inclusion of what we saw in the graphic there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then it goes back, and it makes you understand very clearly, He was in the beginning with God. So you understand that the Word and God the Father are not identical. They are one, but not the same. So there's the purpose behind that second verse. Although the word is one with God, there is also a clear distinction. The two persons are one, but not the same. We fall into error if we fail to distinguish the persons within the Godhead, or if we see three separate gods. This brings us to an early church heresy called Arianism. Now, that is not to be confused with... uh, the term that is used to refer to white supremacy today. This Arianism came before the white supremacist movement that is also called Arianism. And it got its name from uh, its main proponent and teacher, a man named Arius. The early church struggled to understand this idea of Trinity. And for a time, it split into two factions. One side agree with what John has written here, while the other side chose to dismiss the paradox and maintain that Jesus is a created being. We see this today, okay? Um, There are churches, Christian churches, who pursue uh, an idea or doctrine called the Jesus-only movement. There's, There's one of these churches. It's a Pentecostal church right up the street from us. And the Jesus only movement says, don't worry about the Father and, and the Spirit. Just, it's just Jesus only. That's all. There's just, there's just Jesus. Well, see, since our brain can't lay hold of this idea of one and three, three and one, inevitably, people have a tendency to gravitate back and forth between seeing three gods or seeing one God. And we're just going to say, well, that one God expressed himself in different modes at different times. That's an early heresy. It's called Monarchian modalism. And that's the heresy that this church up the street and many like it are pursuing. But the first uh, challenge to this was um, through this fellow Arius. He famously said of the son of Jesus, there was a time when he was not. This group was led by Arius and their position is known as Arianism. The first ecumenical council of bishops was called and met at Nicaea to resolve the question. And they met in uh, 325 AD. Um, it was uh, Constantine that called the council together. Now, don't listen to people like Dan Brown and others who don't understand what went on in church history. Constantine didn't have any power over the council. He didn't tell them what to do. He had simply affirmed Christianity. He wanted Christianity to be the religion of the empire, but he saw that Christianity was divided. Kind of reminds me of what the Republicans just went through last week, right? Yay, we're in charge. No, you can't be the speaker. He's this and we're that. And we can't unite, right? And so as a result, Constantine said to all the bishops, I want you all to get together and I want you to make up your minds. Well, people who understood what John is teaching here, what is written in the book of Hebrews, what Paul writes in Colossians, understood that there is one God who manifests himself in three persons, that the Father and the Son are both God, one and yet distinct persons, right? And uh, they just needed to convince the, the rest of the church of this fact. Well, in the conclusion of the Council of Nicaea, 
they came up with what is known as the Nicene Creed. If you've ever been to a Lutheran church, um, you have probably recited this. Other churches, uh, the Catholic church definitely recites this. This is the relevant part of the creed to the Father and the Son. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Whew. I just want to take a pause. You know, I ask you who Jesus is to you. You're listening to these things. Is your view of Jesus high enough? Do you just kind of think of him as, you know, the guy in the robe and the beard and like some of these pictures I have around here? I've told people before, if, you know, you start idolizing these pictures, I'm going to take them down. They're just intended to be inspiration. But the reality is Jesus probably looked like none of these pictures. But see, that doesn't matter because Jesus was the son of God, begotten before all worlds, before all time, the preexistent word. Now, the next phrase. And this is, this man, I beat my brain up over this one. All things came into being through him. Now, I actually like this better than how I memorized it, right? All things were made through him. You could translate it either way, but in all likelihood, this is more accurate. Uh, and I'm, uh, this is uh, in a number of translations, but this comes from the New American Standard Bible. All things came into existence, through him. The word is called, that is the son, the word, right? Is called the agent of creation or the mediator of creation. Now there's a lot behind this. And so I want to pause for just a second and tell you that I have decided to step away from 2 Corinthians on Wednesday, and I'm just going to keep in this. So if you want to learn more about this, Tune in on Wednesday. If you can't come all the way to downtown Garland at seven o'clock on Wednesday, then you want to tune in online because you're going to want to get all of this because there's so much here. I'll be honest with you. This sermon would have been an hour long easily and you'd been like, yep, I won't be here next week, right? (laughs) So now I get an hour on Wednesday to go over this, okay? Um, The word is the agent or the mediator of creation. Think about it this way. What is the first phrase or the first statement in the Bible, how does it begin? In the beginning, God, what? Created the heavens and the earth. And then he begins to speak and it comes into existence. Okay. What do you speak with? What do you speak using? Words. So Genesis 1, 3, and God said, Let there be light. And what happened? What this is saying is this is more than a statement, words in Hebrew or in Greek or in English. This is a way of understanding that God the Son was the agent of creation through whom it all came into existence. And without him, not one thing has come into being that has come into being. That means that even as, even after the, that initial creation week, if you will, 
there has, there has been a continual outworking of God in the world, and the Son continues to be the one through whom the Lord works and the Lord creates. Listen to how it says it in Colossians 1.16. Now this is the Apostle Paul affirming what John has said here. For by him, that is by the Son, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Again, is your Christology high enough? Is your understanding of Jesus high enough? Jesus is the one we look to in order to know how life should be lived, right? Remember earlier I said, not only can the word mean word, but it can also mean reason, and reason can mean purpose and order. He brings order to the universe or brought order to the universe, but he also describes and defines its purpose. He's the one we look to in order to know how life should be lived. God brought the world into existence through his son, and he is, well, what is he? What does Jesus himself say as recorded in John 14, 6? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also said of himself, he is the light of the world. We heard that uh, topic broached just a moment ago in uh, um, chapter uh, one, verse four, just a moment, okay? Um, in him was life, and that life was the what of men? The light of men. And then Jesus says in, in this same uh, gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter eight, verse 12, um, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Do you know why we're in such a confused mess today? Because people are stumbling around doing what they want to do, living life the way they want to live life, thinking that they can just create value and create truth and live their own morality and do whatever they want to do. And the reality is, the truth is, established from before time and before the created order is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the word who puts order into everything where we are. I, this is something that I just really wrestled with and thought about, and I think that this is a good way to understand this. Reason as purpose. The word is reason. Reason is order. But also when we ask, well, why are you doing that? Why did you say that? Why are things this way? We're asking about purpose, aren't we? What's the purpose? What's the point? Jesus is the reason for creation. The word is the reason why the world came into being. Or to be, make it more complete, the word together with human beings made in the image of God because the word came into being, uh, or, or the world came into being through the word so that human beings could be created in the image of God so that God could pour out his love upon us. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us, there is only one God. Is that true for you? Is there only one God for you? Yet for us, there is only one God, said the Apostle Paul, the Father from whom are all things, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, once again, the agent, the mediator of creation, and we exist through him. So God has a purpose for the universe, and that purpose is realized only in and through Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, again, in the Johannine literature, um, in 1 John, John writes, God is love. How many of you have heard that? God is love. He defines what love is. It doesn't say love is God. 
Not all love, as we express it, has anything to do with God. God defines love. God is love. And Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is what? Love. Most importantly for us, Jesus is God's love poured out upon human beings. God willed to create a world where his love could be expressed and Jesus is the means and the medium through whom God's love flows. I think that is the reason for the world, the reason for the universe. There are some that would say, well, it's for the glory of God. Well, this all glorifies God, there is no question. But I think at the root of it, the reason for creation is so that God through his son could pour out his love on you and I. Now, that might seem very simple, but I think it's very profound. Further, same gospel of John, chapter three, verse 16. I bet you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yeah, I memorized that one so long ago, I memorized it in King Jimmy, all right? But you might have heard it in that as well. That describes what I'm talking about here. That's Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And we'll get there when we get to chapter three, like, you know, a month from now or something. Um, God chose to create the universe to be host for human beings whom he made in his image. I keep saying that, but that's what it says in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, that he created us male and female in his own image. The image of God, the pattern after which we are created, is the only begotten Son. He is the image of the invisible God. Yeah, so there's obviously a problem here, right? We have this image of God in us, and we have Jesus, who is God's image and radiance of his glory. As it says in uh, Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of God's glory, the, the exact representation or expression of his nature. And yet we're so far from that. What happened? Sin. Sin happened. Sin is me choosing not to believe. Sin is me taking my own way instead of following the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Sin is me falling short of God's perfect standard and intent for, for me. Human beings are made in his image, and that's the pinnacle of his creation, his natural creation in Genesis chapter one. But the son of God is the point of it all. But creation, as we look around us, is no longer perfect. Sin has brought death and, in, and it has defaced God's image in human beings. The image of the son must be restored, and that can only happen in and through the Son, Jesus Christ. Those who hear and heed God's call are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Why are you here? Why are you here? You're here to choose or not choose to receive God's love and to follow Jesus, to become more like him so that you can be prepared to live with God, with God the Father forever in heaven. What does it say, Romans 8, 29? For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's God's purpose for you. If you're following another idea, another ideal, another purpose, you're falling short. You're failing as a human being because God created you in his image. That image is broken in you until you get it restored in Christ. But that is the purpose for everything in this world and in this universe. It's not an afterthought though. God didn't put human beings in the garden and then Adam and Eve sinned and God said, oh man, what am I gonna do now? No, he knew that that was gonna happen when he created human beings. 
It has always been part of the plan to let us exercise our free will, even when he knew that that was going to be destructive, right? Many of you in this room have kids, right? Are there times when you let your kids make choices, even though you know they're not good choices, because you want them to stumble around and figure out that's not the best thing for you to do? Ideally, you don't let them stumble too far or stumble too hard because you don't want permanent damage to your child, okay? But especially as they get older, you give them more and more freedom because they're going to do it anyway. You can hold off until they're 18 and give them no freedom at all, and then they're just going to bust loose and go crazy. But you're wise parents. You know what you've got to do. You've got to let a little, give them a little more and a little more and a little more freedom and let them make those decisions and let them figure that out. The scripture says if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. But sometimes when he is young, he does, doesn't he? Right? But that's what the Lord has done with us. He's given us free choice, and we get the consequences of that free choice as well. Well, it wasn't an afterthought. He knew we would fall into sin, and that would be the opportunity to, de- to demonstrate his grace and love. The love of God is proven and poured out through Christ who died on the cross to pay, to pay the price for our sins. The question is, and I will conclude here, will you believe? Will you receive? In the same passage that we've been in, this prologue, verse 12 says, as many as received him, to, the, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believed on his name. Have you received Jesus? Have you believed on the one who is called the Word, the Son of God, the Chosen One, Yeshua, Jesus? What does that mean? It means Yahweh saves, God saves. So if you've drifted away from that, I invite you to come back today. If you've never fully embraced that, I invite you to open your heart and express your love for the Lord and express your faith to the Lord. Let him come inside, we say. Receive his spirit. He will have much to say in John about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus will literally come and reside in you and restore the image of God in you when you simply open your heart and let him in. Call on his name. Call out to him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Come and save me. Forgive me of my sin recreate the image of God in me. Make me what you want me to be. You are the light of the world. I will follow you. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewellchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, You can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests all sorts of things like that. And uh, I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically all you need to do is text the word LifeWell from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list and you'll get a couple of those texts 